Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we have been discussing Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer. We spent the last several episodes talking about his misapplication of Romans 8, 26 through 28. Today, we're going to talk about tongues and also kind of related to that, the issue of using stories to present supposed biblical truth. So... Do you just want to mention, as as we have in the past, the issue of using these miracle stories in charismatic circles? Yes. Uh, I mentioned last week that I was in a group that that was our meetings almost every time. Okay. Miracle guidance stories. Yes. Or other things. But I, I wrote an article about that one time, I think, Personal Words from God. Yes. And... Uh, the stock is miracle guidance stories. And the more startling or exciting the story, if someone was really good at that and had a lot of them, they would be a traveling speaker. Okay. And would go from place to place and tell miracle guidance stories. And what what it's all grounded in is the idea that some people have an ability to get special revelations from God or special words from God that tell them specific things about what's going to happen or where they should be or what they should do in a certain way. And sometimes, depending on the context and who's telling the story, they have very amazing supernatural encounters, even going to heaven and speaking to people in heaven. Okay. I'm not saying that Jesus is saying that in his book, but Todd Bentley claims he can go there. He knows the secret of the heavenly portals in the third heaven. So in that bigger scheme of the New Apostolic Reformation, charismatic, some versions of charismatic, and so on, there are stories about unbelievable things that would happen, including hearing from people, here in heaven, going to heaven, and so on and so forth. And the end result is some glorious thing happened. Okay. And so tell the story, God told me to do this, and I did it, and here's the result, and look at and everybody gets excited. And then the, a lot of people wonder why that doesn't really happen for them. Okay. And why why doesn't God tell me that if I do this or that, something will happen, and then I get a great outcome. Right. So they assume that they have a deficiency that the top leaders that they hear speak do not have, or that they're not pious enough, or they didn't pray long enough, or they don't want it bad enough, or they don't expect it. There's always going to be something wrong with us. And this goes on until many people, and I've been hearing now back from some people we had from for decades who went into just decades of darkness when they kind of gave up. Okay. People that were in the movement and gave up. And I've heard I've mentioned this before from people 
who joined the NAR, some version of it somewhere, and know a lot of friends that were there. When they leave, they don't serve God at all. They don't even go to church. Yes. Because this grand, these grand claims that have to just keep happening and keep the excitement up, fizzle out, or there's a failure of one of the leaders, or whatever may happen, and they give up on it. Okay. And so the miracle guidance stories are grounded in the idea that there's some metaphysical impression inside our, our, our mind or our spirit or whatever they say that's the voice of God. And we can know it's certainly the voice of God. That once we have that idea that the voice of God sounds like this, when God speaks to me, especially, then that's what I need to act on. Okay. And that is underlying this. Right. And if you start questioning that, you get some very strong pushback. Yes. People will become very angry or irate, or accuse you of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, even, see that happen, and just leave. Why, you, 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 what's wrong with you? So you, uh, how do you dare say God? So you say God cannot speak. Is that what you're saying? God cannot speak. Right. And that's not what we're saying. Well, obviously God speaks because it says God has spoken. Yes. Okay. So when I wrote the article, there's no singular feeling, metaphysical impression, spiritual voice of God in our spirit that's certainly God and cannot be wrong. Right. So when you get that sort of a impression, are you saying this is the infallible voice of God? It will not fail. And right. usually they start, well, I don't know if I want to say that. Because you say that, and what you claim doesn't happen, now you don't even, you're not even sure you know God. Yes. And that happens to people. All right. So as we continue through this chapter of his book, he tells this story about a minister from Cleveland, Tennessee. And he uses the story, which we'll discuss in a minute, to continue to make his claim about the Holy Spirit praying through us when we've demonstrated that it's actually the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us. Part of the issue that's going to come up is, is this issue of tongues. And so what we're going to show you today is that the way tongues is used in this meeting is directly counter to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. So do you just want to give us an overview of the story that he tells, and then we will get on to the main topic, which is the use of tongues? Yes. So these stories come up in, the, in this book that we're reviewing. Yes. And as was the case when I was in the movement like this in the 70s, the story sometimes would go around. This was before social media or email or anything like that. Yeah. Long distance phone calls you couldn't afford or a letter. Okay. Uh, the stories would go around and they'd become secondhand or thirdhand stories of what happened somewhere through somebody. Okay. There's a story like this. And uh, this guy was having a meeting and was ministering in a small church in Canada. 
didn't know anybody in the church well. Uh, here's where it says, page 115. About 15 minutes into his message, he heard the Holy Spirit speak inwardly to him, stop your message and begin to pray in the Spirit. Okay. So he's called to speak somewhere. God tells him to stop speaking, start praying in the Spirit. Well, and earlier in the book, he has mentioned that his definition of praying in the Spirit includes tongues. Right, which yes. is what's going to happen here. Okay. So there's a, they, they would affirm other ways of praying the Spirit, but tongues is for sure a way you pray the Spirit. Okay. So he talks about the awkwardness. Uh, he said the leading of the Holy Spirit was so strong, however, that he obeyed. Okay. Well, I was just talking about that. What's the difference between a weak leading of the Spirit and a strong leading of the Spirit? And where do we find that in Scripture, and how do we know? Well, I don't know even how this follows on the heels of the Jacob story we talked about last time. Exactly. And th that's in the context of the book. That's where we are. This is following the story of Jacob. But in that story, God just providentially leads Jacob to where he needs to be. There was no prompting of the spirit. Yeah. Jacob didn't get some sense. Well, let me try to go over here. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know how that follows, but this is what it says here. And then um, he said, the guy was speaking, according to the story, says, you have to excuse me. The Lord has just instructed me to stop my message and pray in the spirit. So he began pace the platform praying in the spirit audibly. So this went on for, what, 15 minutes, and it says nothing? I assume we know from the rest of this, yeah, he was speaking in tongues during this time. Okay. So then he says, talk about a weakness and the inability to produce results. He didn't even have the slightest idea what this was all about. Talk about not knowing how to pray as he should, what was necessary, right, a proper day. So this was either a command from God, day, we've covered that before. Yes. Or divine necessity what must happen, which God brings to pass. Okay. Well, we're not commanded by God to speak in tongues for 20 minutes in a public service. In fact, we're told not to. Yes. Okay. He called this a butterfly anointing. And it went 20 minutes. Right. People had to simply, had simply sat and watched and listened. Then a lady screamed and ran to the front of the church and, said some things about my daughter's a missionary in Africa and so on, fatal disease, couldn't be treated. And so the story goes that somehow what he was saying for 20 minutes in this unknown tongue was a dialect that she could recognize. Was that yes. how it all goes? Yep. And then she says, and you just said in that dialect, you can rejoice your daughter is healed. You can rejoice your daughter is healed. So 20 minutes to get to, you can rejoice your daughter is healed. So that, so the 20 minutes of speaking in tongues. So, that, so that's a pretty uh, amazing story. And it's not totally unusual to hear various stories that like that when you're in those meetings, because there are always stories. 
Yes. And so then he goes on and thinks that maybe it took 20 minutes for the Holy Spirit to get from Africa to, what does he say there? Why did it take 20 minutes? Because it's a long way from Canada to Africa and it took the Holy Spirit a while to flutter like a butterfly all that way? Well, maybe not. I'm not sure why it took 20 minutes. There are several reasons why I believe perseverance is often necessary in prayer, but that is for another chapter. It says persevere and you'll come to it. Well, okay. so the question we need to ask, though, is, is this what we find Paul teaching about tongues in in uh, corporate worship? Is this okay. biblical? Yeah. Jessica and I spent a lot of time studying, restudying 1 Corinthians 14 to get ready for this, because I went back, I read some com better commentaries than I have now in the last time I um, taught in Corinthians decades ago. And so what is that all about? Let's let's just lay this out. Number one, there's no clear evidence that Romans 8.26 is about speaking in tongues. Right, none. In fact, it says groaning is too deep for words. Yeah, tongues well, are words. Yeah, so even in tongues, if it's something that's a language of some sort, and then there's a lot of debate about what that means. Uh, it's still words. Yes. Okay. So and, it can't possibly be groanings too deep for words right. if there are words. So that doesn't apply to Romans 8.26, which is what this whole section is about. Okay. Holy Spirit praying through us or as they interpret it. Yes. So furthermore. There's plenty of teaching about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And very important teaching, as we'll see. Right. And the teaching in 1 Corinthians 14 is about tongues in a public meeting. Right. And this was a public meeting where this minister was teaching. Right. And probably because he was the featured speaker and said, well, excuse me, the Holy Spirit, God told me this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, anyone there at a meeting like that that understood First Corinthians 14 would stop it long before. Right. So this meeting is in the common vernacular. Yes. Paul told us it's supposed to be that way in First Corinthians 14. And... No one's being edified by hearing a language. And even if you say, well, eventually this lady knew that there was something about this dialect in Africa. But the person who spent the 20 minutes doing this didn't know there was anybody there or what his language he was speaking in or could have understood anything of it. Right. So the whole thing starts out by purposely disregarding clear teaching from the scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 about tongues in a public meeting, claiming the Holy Spirit told him to do this, even though the Bible says not to. Yes. And then going doing so for 20 minutes, which isn't edifying anyone, and then coming up with a, a conclusion about what that was about that's rather fanciful, in my opinion. Yes. Because the Bible says that 
the one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, for no one understands in his spirit he speaks mysteries. Right. I don't know what category this is supposed to fit. Right. It, it certainly doesn't fit anything Paul lays out here. And he goes on then in 1 Corinthians 14, that's Paul, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And the two things that we're going to see come up throughout 1 Corinthians 14 is the idea of tongues and prophecy. So mm -hmm. let's just quick define for a minute for listeners who haven't heard our previous episodes where we've discussed 1 Corinthians 14. How is Paul using prophecy or prophesy here? Well, to prophesy is to speak about God's mighty deeds in ways that bring edification, exhortation, and comfort. Right. So and these what, are are reasonable implications and applications of Scripture. Things that we know to be true based on what God has revealed. Yes. Okay. And some have said, well, they didn't have the whole canon of Scripture then. True, but they had Paul's teaching. They expect them to know the gospel and applications. I'm preaching through 1 Corinthians right now. I'm in chapter 6. But he says, do you not know 10 times? Yes. And the implication is you're supposed to know. He taught there in Corinth for a year and a half, and they were grounded in the gospel, but they were prone to elitism. Okay. So who has the greater gifts is one of the issues. They were elitist. Who has, who's of Paul? Who's of Apollos? Who has the greater gifts? Who's the greatest? And then this is corrected. Then you have the love. You have the different gifts that God gives. Chapter twelve, love. Okay. Okay. Uh, chapter thirteen, and now here we have uh, how this applies in the congregation. Prophecy isn't predicting the future. Right. Because it says in First Corinthians fourteen that you may prophesy the most two or three and let the others judge. Yes. Well, you can't do that. The type of prophecy that we get from the prophets in the NAR often predictive. Right. And we've heard some of those lately, and I've written about that as well. Well, somebody claimed that he prophesied who was going to win the Super Bowl. Did you hear that one? Jill? Yeah, I heard that one. Well, okay. So let's say you're in a service, and that's what this guy prophesies. Okay. And depending on when it was, maybe it was the Sunday morning of the Super Bowl. You don't, you can't judge it until after you go and watch the game. Right. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> and even then, they've a, got a 50-50 chance. So <laughs> Yeah, being always a close game or whatever. The point is, that's not the point. Right. Edification, exhort, we can very clearly define what comforts us. Parakaleo, which is the word used for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the, the comforter, the word to call alongside, which they understand, and Dutch Sheath mentions that, can be exhortation, call alongside, no, this is wrong, you should be this way. It can be edification, re recounting the promises of God that we might cling to them and give us hope, comfort that our sins are forgiven, 
that God cares for us. There's so many things that fall under that category of prophesying. Yes. Okay. And speaking in tongues does none of that. Right. And therefore, Paul is correcting that. So given what we know there, and I'm just giving you an overview, why would the Holy Spirit say, stop speaking? You've been called there. I don't know what he was supposed to be speaking on. Hopefully something would be edification, exhortation, comfort. Yes. And speaking in tongues for 20 minutes. Well, he didn't say 20 minutes. That's how it turned out. Yes. So that's, which to me, okay. Right. That shows a sign of instability. Yes. When and this is the deviate, opposite. Yeah, it's unstable. Right. If you're called to teach people, and maybe they just called him there because they wanted to hear stories. Okay. I don't know that. I don't know what kind of church it was. But typically, when I used to travel to speak, they called me to speak on a topic from the Bible. Okay. They ordered, you know, I wrote a couple books that you would go and explain from the Bible what the book is about and what was wrong with, say, the emergent movement or the panentheism, whatever it is. But if you don't do what you're called to do, you speak in tongues for 20 minutes, which the scripture tells us not to do. Yes. And then when they finally get the content, it's what is it? It's a uh, rejoice your daughter is healed. Well, one of the things that we learned in 1 Corinthians 14 is the one who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but to God. Right. So this is God speaking to man. It's a reverse application. But Paul says it's us speaking to God. Right. How we pray. And so it's not to be done in the public meeting unless there's an interpreter. And there's a lot of debate about what that would look like and what it means. But we're not required to speak in tongues. Yes. And it's better to prophesy, not predicting the future but edification, exhortation, comfort from things we know to be true about our mutual salvation, about the person of Christ, about the gospel, and about forgiveness of sins, and so on. But th this whole thing doesn't fit any of the categories here. Right. So if we look at 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 26 through 28 here. What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. Right. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each one in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So there again, we've got tongues speaking to God. This is done in an orderly manner, and there must be an interpreter. Otherwise, it's not edifying the body. This is the opposite of what we see even in this story where he went on for 20 minutes with no interpretation. Yeah. That's when when we were talking about this, I immediately said, well, for one thing, Paul tells us not to do that. Right. So since when does a personal word from God that may or may not be from God, because we don't know what the voice of the Holy Spirit 
in some uh, non-tangible sense means exactly what does that sound like? Right. And how do you know? Again, it's just not a clear category. Yes. And certainly, certainly, at the very least, even if you accept that some people are really good at hearing the voice of God, even at that, the voice of God that someone believes they're good at hearing never has veto power over the teaching of the Bible. Right. Most people who believe in special guidance of the sort we're talking about would not claim that they can veto what the Bible says because God told him something. Okay. I don't know that I've talked to somebody quite that brazen. Okay. Although there's, it happens by disregard. Yes. One time in the 80s when I went to talk to a pastor who was a lot older than me. In the 80s, I was actually kind of young. Okay. And, uh, he, I said, well, why do you bring these speakers in? I'd asked to talk to him about it, somebody we knew, the charismatic. And, and a very nice fellow, but he said, well, it's like the one speaker we had said this. It's like a, flying in a plane. We take off from the Bible. We land in the Bible. But we do a lot of flying around in between. <laughs> but, okay, so the flying around is the stories. Yes. Because I've been to enough of those meetings back in those days. Well, the flying around can't be saying that landing strip doesn't mean what it says. Why don't we take this great big plane and land out here in a bumpy pasture with holes in it? Well, and that's really almost, it's, it, it ties right in with what Dutch Sheets is saying here. He calls this, uh, the heading for this section, the butterfly anointing. He says, have you ever observed a butterfly flying from one location to another? They flutter this way and that, up and down, herky-jerky. It appears they do not have the slightest idea where they are going. They look almost drunk. When I begin to pray in the spirit, not knowing what I'm saying, sometimes with my mind wandering this way and that, I feel as though I'm trying to move in the butterfly anointing. So we're going to jump here and there and here and there. But is this actually the way the Holy Spirit works? That's somewhat similar to what that pastor told me. Yeah. But God does get to us through the scripture. Let me, I'll tell some more of this story. Okay. Talking about telling stories. So here, uh, I think at the time was after 1986, the group I was in had had Dave Hunt come and speak on the topic of the seduction of Christianity. Yes. And that caused us to be considered untrustworthy. Okay. They didn't like Dave Hunt questioning a lot of these things that were going on. And so I was coming to talk to the guy, and I got there early, and I was reading a scripture in Timothy, sitting in the car, not wanting to go in early, came across the passage that said, do not sharply rebuke an older man, but appeal to him as a father. Right. And I was in my 30s, and he was much older than that. Yeah, because I was really charged up, and I was going to tear into there and the whatever. I don't know okay. how it would have gone. I thought, no, you can say, is that your word? Is that how you found it? Well, in God's providence, I read the passage, 
But the reason I know it's applicable because it directly applied to the situation. Yes. I was going in to rebuke him. I did end up saying I disagree and here's what I think the problem is. But he was an older man. I was a younger man. So I obeyed the scripture. Right. The providence involved finding the scripture right there because I got there early and then going in and not blowing the whole situation up, but appealing to him that people are being hurt because not all of this flying around turns out well for some of the people that come to the meetings. Yes. That's how you apply it. So the butterfly anointing, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's almost the same kind of analogy, isn't it? Yes, it is. Instead of taking off in the Bible and landing there, why don't we stay in the Bible? Yes. And bringing this back to the context of this chapter, which is Romans 8, 26 through 28, the Holy Spirit interceding for us is not a butterfly anointing flitting from here to there until we land on the right place. The Holy Spirit already knows what we need, and right. he intercedes for us, not through us, as Dutch Sheet says, and he knows exactly how to pray, and that's why we need him. Yes, and furthermore, one more thing. Okay. Not only does he know what we need, if you read the rest of Romans 8, which we've been pointing to, it's revealed what we need. Yes. And that's to be conformed to the image of Christ and kept safe through all that happens as we're in the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, we kind of ran out of time to dig too much into 1 Corinthians 14, but we have done that in past episodes. If you're watching on YouTube or finding this through Facebook, in the comments and description, I will post a link to those episodes. So we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others as well as years' worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We would love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramus. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week. <laughs>